It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for February 5th, 2015. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello, Dan. Jacob. Great to be with you on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Looking forward to our study. Good to be with you. Monty is here behind the controls. Monty, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here. Look forward to hearing from you as well tonight, Monty, and look forward to hearing from you, our audience, at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com and join in the chat room to the bottom of your video feed if you're listening to us live on the program tonight on a topic that, well, haven't talked about it in a while and we need to talk about it again. Uh, yeah, hopefully we're going to talk about some things that I don't think we've ever thoroughly covered on the Virtual Bible Study, and it's an important subject. We're going to talk about church benevolence, about the work of the church in the realm of benevolence. And uh, I would just start our discussion by affirming that we believe that the church does have a work to do in the realm of benevolence, and, and we'll talk about that as we go through our program tonight. Uh, but there are some limitations, and they have to be understood. So we'll we'll go that way, Jacob. All right. Look forward to hearing from you on the program. Earlier today, you sent us some questions to sort of guide our discussion. Tonight. Yeah, yeah. We always remind you, get on our update list. If you're not, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We'll get you on the list. Just say, add me to the list, and we will. Earlier today to our update list, I sent out these questions, and I, and there was a significant typo in the, the yeah. questions. I didn't know that until I got here tonight, and, and you and Monty pointed it out to me, Jacob. But anyway, here are the questions we sent out. Is the church authorized to extend benevolence to non-Christians? And then in the, in the discussion of that, we want to talk about, compare and contrast uh, the individual versus the church in the matter of benevolence. Number two, are there any examples of benevolence being used to open doors for evangelism? Number three, what potentially wrong view of Christianity may be conveyed by attempting to draw the lost through benevolence? Yeah. I put evangelism there. So those of you who saw your questions, and number three didn't even make any sense because I, I – it's amazing to me. You can read and reread what you've written, and you read what you think you wrote, whether you did or not. That you know? explains that scratching sound I heard right when that email went out. People uh, were all scratching uh, their heads. Everybody was like, what? Yeah. But the number three is supposed to say, what potentially wrong view of Christianity may be conveyed by attempting to draw the lost through benevolence? Okay. Number four, how can it be proved that benevolence and evangelism are really two entirely different things? And number five, did Jesus use benevolence to draw crowds in the instances when he fed the multitudes? Okay. So we'll look at those. All right. All right. So uh, probably we need to just dive in, Jacob. Uh, again, reminding people, get involved. Call us, 877-381-4567. Email us. We've got our email inbox in view. If you email us, we'll try to get that on. And, of course, we've always got the chat room up and running. We see several folks in the chat room. I see Randy and in frigid Michigan tonight, uh, John in Oklahoma. We not see, so frigid, hopefully. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, Arthur in Kalioka. Uh, uh, I see uh, Sarah there. and Philip several, Kent Clark is there. Philip well. Kent Clark. Uh, join in. Join us in the chat room and give us some input as we go along through this discussion. We always encourage you. We always see one person logged in as guest 2309. And you can give yourself a name. It don't. It doesn't have to be your actual name. You can name yourself with a, a nickname of some sort, uh, so we can identify. It makes it a little bit easier. All right. We'll look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. Now, we're talking about this subject. Some may say you're being a little bit nitpicky, trying to determine what the church can do versus what the individual do. But we believe it's important that we have authority for everything that we do in practice. If yeah. we don't, if we don't, in every aspect of our lives individually and corporately as a congregation then we open the door for any type of innovation that may come along we just recently talked about the woman preacher in the town north of here in franklin tennessee that 
is an innovation we, that we don't have, have any authority for. But if we say, well, we're going to do something else we don't have authority for, then how do we draw the line and say, well, you can't have the woman preach? Yeah, I, we've actually heard people say, oh, we do lots of things without authority, which we think is actually a, a horrible statement to make. And if it's and true, it needs one. to change immediately. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we believe there is a distinction between the individual and the church. And, and we want, we would point out, of course, we think that as individual Christians, we should do good unto all men. Galatians 6 verse 10 says, do, a good, do good unto all men as we have opportunity, especially those of the household of faith. We believe that's a statement directed to individual Christians, not to, to churches or congregations of people. Uh, so we're not saying that we should turn a hard heart Toward needy people of the world, as yeah. Christians, we should be concerned. We but, but God has given the church a limited capacity or a limited role in benevolence. I've got a list that I think is thorough, Jacob. There's 12 references in the New Testament, to my knowledge, of the church doing benevolent work. And I think it can be shown in every instance that the benevolence activity of congregations, of, of collectivities, of congregations was exclusively the church. Let me, let me read through this list real fast. Acts 2, 44 and 45, the, it was toward, I'm going to read to whom their benevolence was directed. So Acts 2, 44 and 45, all that believed. Acts 4, 32 through 35, them that believed. Acts 6, 1, the disciples. Acts 11, 29, relief unto the brethren. Romans 15, 25, unto the saints. Romans 15, 26, for the poor saints. Romans 15.31, accepted of the saints. 1 Corinthians 16.1, collection for the saints. Um, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4, ministering to the saints. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1, the ministering to the saints. 2 Corinthians 9.12, supplieth the need of the saints. 1 Timothy 5.16, relieve them that are widows indeed. I believe we see in, in all of the instances where you can designate that it was a, a collectivity in action, a group of Christians functioning as a local congregation. Every time we see them acting in the realm of benevolence, it was directed toward needy saints or Christians in need. And so we believe that that establishes a pattern that we have to imitate. As individuals, we can and should help everyone as we have opportunity, Galatians 6 verse right. 10 says. Right. But congregations are limited in their work. To relieve needy saints. All right. So we want to hear from you. What do you think about that? 877-381-4567. Now, that's an important distinction. Again, we need to uh, emphasize that we think we should be benevolent to all, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, as individuals. And uh, we probably don't do enough of that. I think that's true. I, I, I really think that we are not as active as Christians in the realm of benevolence. But, you know... It, in our society today, you, you're going to have to look for those opportunities. They're not, you're, not, I, you're just not going to come across we, them. We live in a time and in a place where there's a lot of social safety net in place. Right. And needy people have their needs met very often through governmental assistance and so forth. And so there's not as great a need right here where we live. There are plenty of places in the world where there's intense need, and we need to be mindful of that. Right. But, you know, I think one of the dangers of individuals turning their work over in the matter of benevolence to to the church, to it, to the institution, so to speak. It, I, 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 I sort of pat myself on the back because the church where I'm a member sent, uh, you know, uh, $500 to the Philippines last year when they had that horrible typhoon. And so I'm feeling pretty satisfied that I've done a really good work of benevolence because the congregation of which I'm a member sent that $500 over there. But you know what? If you boiled it down as to my part right. of that 500 that was sent, it was maybe two or three dollars, five or ten dollars. Yeah. And I'm all convinced that I've done I've done my duty now. I've fulfilled my work in benevolence because the church did it. When you factor in how much of that was actually out of my pocket, it was relatively insignificant. Yeah. But I've deceived myself into thinking I've really done a good thing. Right. And uh, and so we see maybe some reasons why corporate benevolence isn't a good idea. But nonetheless, even if it if it, if, if it, well, if, if if it, it is, is or isn't, it doesn't really matter. Our, yeah. our reasoning doesn't matter. What did the first century church do? We only have examples of them uh, providing benevolence to those who are saints in the New Testament. So yeah. we're going to do the same. Yeah, this is 
been an historic point of conflict, uh, especially among churches of Christ, as there have been unfortunate divisions that have resulted over the question of benevolence. But the, the, the point has been made, if individuals can do it, the church can do it. And we got an email today from Keith uh, in Hendersonville who actually made that argument. Uh, he said, how would Paul have written Galatians 6.10? Read, I think you've got it open there, Jay. I read, do have read it. Galatians and this is, this is going to be a key passage in the discussion because it is one passage folks will go to and say, well, here, the church can, do, can be involved in benevolence to non-Christians as a, as a group. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so, if on the surface, it looks like, well, Paul's telling the church that they are supposed to do good to all, and especially those who are Christians, but not necessarily those who are Christians. Yeah, but if you look at the context yeah. of that, Jacob, I, I like to go all the way back to the start of chapter 6 and just go down through every verse and notice who he's talking to. Verse 1, if a man be overtaken of fault, you which are spiritual, restore him. Bear ye one another's burdens, verse 2. Verse 3, if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Verse 4, let every man prove his own work. Number Verse 5, let every man bear his own burdens. Verse number 6, let him that is taught in the word communicate in him that teacheth in all good things. Number seven, Verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Verse 8, he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Verse 9, let let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Even there, the we, who's going to reap? Are we, are we going to, you know, is it going to be or a collective uh, a reward? Yeah. You know, I'm a member of a church, and the church did good things, so I'm going to get my reward even though I wasn't much involved. No, it's still talking individually. Yeah. And then verse 10, then as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. I think the context is clearly directed to individual Christians, and it is an important duty for us as Christians, but I, Galatians 6.10 does not authorize the church to act. Now, In context, yeah. Now, back to Keith's email. He said, how would Paul have written Galatians 6.10 to be a congregational obligation other than how it is said, if, in believe, if indeed you believe it is to the individual? He says, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say the primary course of the church is benevolence toward everyone from the congregational standpoint. However, hear me out, I do think that if every Christian has the same responsibility, then making a differentiation between individual and congregational neglects to express the understanding that the congregation is made up of individual Christians. Is it right for every individual in a congregation to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned? Then is it not the congregation doing such? Where we seem to take issue is over what pot of money it's coming from. I saw a congregation once who believed it wrong to send flowers to a funeral home with money taken from the church treasury, but thought it not wrong to post men at the doors to collect money for the flower fund. The card read the same from members of such and such Church of Christ. That just seems to me to be pure Phariseeism. I I respectfully completely disagree with what Keith has said in that email. I would especially key in on this expression. Is it right for every individual in the congregation to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned? Then is it not the congregation doing such? But he also no, says he also says if every Christian has the same responsibility, then making a differentiation between individual and congregational neglects uh, to express the understanding that the congregation is made of individual Christians. Let's take that to an extreme. What about the obligation that I have to provide for my family? Exactly. Everyone in the congregation has that responsibility. You have that responsibility. Money, you have that responsibility. I have that responsibility. So can we just turn that over to the church and say, well, the church now has to put food on my table. Right. Why not? Why not? Well, if you want to carry that even further to extreme, Tuesday night in our home Bible study, the material that we talked about discussed marital responsibilities. All three of us here are married and have the same marital responsibilities, but I don't have marital responsibilities to your wife or your wife, and y'all don't have them to my wife. Those are individual responsibilities, and even if everyone in the church is married, we all have our individual marital responsibilities, but it's not a church responsibility. So there is a distinct difference. If you want to carry it to that extreme, you can see it. Now, so just on that point that Keith has made, 
it doesn't harmonize what we're seeing. I see you've got your Bible open, Jacob, to what I think is an important text that shows the differentiation between the individual and the church. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, If any man provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. There's the idea. I've got to take care of my family. But he, he speaks of some who were widows indeed, and he gave qualifications for them uh, in the next several verses. But then when you skip down to uh, verse 16, 1 Timothy 5, 16, If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So I'm supposed to take care of my own. That's an individual responsibility that, so that the church can relieve those who are widows indeed. There was a different differentiation made between yeah. the individual and the church. Yeah. You know, if you took if you took this statement at actual face value, if in other words, if, if everybody's authorized to do it, then the church can do it. That's his argument when he said, is it not right for every individual congregation to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the prison? Then is it not the congregation doing? Well, you are authorized, Jacob, to start a hot dog vending business. I am authorized to start a hot dog vending business. Money is. Every member in this church has the authority. They have the right to engage in the hot dog vending business. Right. Well, by that rule, then, the church can engage in the hot dog vending business. Yeah. And, you know, what, what you've got there is the old saying, what proves too much proves nothing at all. And, and Keith's argument doesn't prove anything. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sad to say. He said, how would Paul have written Galatians chapter 6 to be a congregational obligation other than how it is said in, if indeed you believe it is to the individual? Well, if he wanted it to be for the congregation, he would have to put it in a context addressed to the congregation exactly. as a whole. And it's curious, if he did mean this to be a congregational activity, why don't we have any examples of congregations doing this in the yeah. New Testament? We don't have them. They were all directing their benevolence to uh, Christians. To and saints. that's the next point we want to go to. Let's right. grab a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, are there examples of benevolence being used to open doors for evangelism? We already said there's not any examples of congregations. You can't read a single example in the New Testament of a congregation expending benevolent funds for non-Christians. We're not uh, opposed to doing it if we could find an example. We just sure. can, and so we're going to stop there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I just pulled up the chat room. I had it covered up, but uh, Philip Kent Clark in the chat room also references First Timothy chapter 5, uh, and he shows that that differentiates the, uh, between the individual and the church. Yeah. It does. Thank you, uh, Philip, for that. We'll take a break. We'll get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? Here's some quotes worth pondering. Theodore Roosevelt said, quote, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, because there is not effort without error and shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause. Destructive criticism is an indirect form of self-boasting. Man, wish I'd said that. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, uh, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com and in the chat room as well. And there's a question from guest 647 in the chat room. Uh, and it's, and guest 647 admits this is a tangential question, but uh, it's worthy of discussion. Where do we as individuals get authorization to contribute to a charitable organization to relieve needs? In the New Testament, it was an individual directly giving or hiring a caretaker, uh, he, and he or she references the Good Samaritan doing that. How would you, uh, where would you get the authority to give to a charitable organization? Is that acceptable? Well, I, I don't think that I can do my, religious benevolence or my religious work through a man-made organization. For instance, I don't think, I personally hold the position, I don't believe that we should be establishing human organizations to do uh, evangelism, for instance. That's another question. We might study that sometime or another. Do we have the right to set up uh, 
an organization to usurp the work that the church is supposed to be doing. Because we have exclusive example there of the church being involved in that. Yeah, but I can do good work. I would probably even use that example of the Good Samaritan. He didn't do all of the caretaking firsthand on the injured man. He hired the innkeeper to do so. In other words, he gave money to help accomplish the benevolent need of that man, although he didn't personally do it all himself. I think we can do good works through various agencies, but they are just that. They are individual good works, and I can engage in them through hiring someone else or facilitating someone else to get the job done. And a follow-up question. If my giving is intended to glorify God, how is it not religious? That may have been a misstatement. Our works as a group, I guess, the works that the church is authorized to do needs to remain in that realm. But everything we do is to glorify God. Yeah, but I don't know. I'd be glad to hear what others have to say. But, for instance, if you find a certain organization and not religiously connected, I have some problem contributing to organizations that have a religious affiliation to do good. Because I feel like I'm aiding and abetting them in the promotion of their false doctrine. So I'm typically pretty sensitive about whether or not this is a religiously affiliated agency. But, you know, if you think of some others, and there are plenty out there that don't have any religious connection at all, and you decide that you want to contribute some money to them to help them accomplish the goals they're seeking, I would argue that as long as it's moral and ethical, you know, the principle stated in Acts Chapter 5, while it remained, was it not thine own? I think you can do that in those kind of instances. I'd be glad if someone has a differing view on that, I'd be glad to hear it. But that's my position on that. All right, back to the subject at hand on the idea of church benevolence. You know, before we get a little further in this, Jacob, someone might ask, why would God limit the church to only helping needy saints? Well, of course, he hasn't explained himself on that. I mean, it never says don't do it because of this. God never gave us that information. But it wouldn't be hard to speculate that if the church were to use its funds in the general benevolence field, we could expend all of the financial resource of the church probably in a day, not make a dent in the problem of world poverty, and then have nothing left to do what I think is the more critical work in the world, that of evangelism, to spread the gospel, to save men's souls. So I'm just speculating. It's all speculation again. I'm just speculating there, but I don't think it would be too hard to conclude that that might be at least a significant part of God's reasoning in that limitation that he placed on the church. But nonetheless, we just don't have authority. We don't find any example of New Testament churches doing this. And so we're going to make our practice harmonized with what we read in the New Testament. You know, we asked the question. Question two that we asked was, are there any examples of benevolence being used to open doors for evangelism? Well, think about that for a minute. The book of Acts is actually the story of the spread of Christianity in the first century. It's a history. It tells the history of the spread of Christianity. In fact, we read about Peter doing evangelism in Judea. We read about Philip doing evangelism in Samaria. We read about Paul going all over the Roman Empire, preaching the gospel in lots of different places. And in fact, Acts 8 verse 4 says that the disciples were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. Colossians 1 verse 23 says that the gospel had been preached to every creature under heaven. So the gospel really spread. Isn't it significant to note that in all of that evangelistic effort, there is not even a hint of them using benevolence as a means to try to draw people and get the message to them? Not even a hint of it. If that's what we're to be doing, it seems like we ought to be at least able to catch some indication through the way that the gospel was spread in the first century. Yeah, we see it all the time in the religious world today. In the papers, we read about the churches who are trying to open the doors with the benevolence, bring in those who have need and take care of those physical needs. 
again, we're not against taking care of physical needs. We need to be doing that, and we need to be doing that as individuals. We just don't have examples of churches doing that in the first century. And as you said, there have been ample opportunities in the first century for Paul when he arrived in Troas to open up a soup kitchen or uh, or do some kind of, well, they didn't have canned food, but uh, some kind of food drive, uh, and and uh, and he didn't do that. So we just... We, we we don't do we don't see it. <coughs> yeah, we got we we kind of overlooked a, a, a part of Randy's email to us. He he says the teaching of the New Testament is for individuals, not congregations, uh, to do benevolence toward non Christians. He references First Timothy six seventeen and eighteen, uh, which is to charge those who are rich in this world. Uh, uh, that's that's that they, us. That's we, us. Yeah. Uh, be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Hebrews thirteen sixteen. Do good and communicate. Forget not for that. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. First uh, John three seventeen and eighteen. Whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother in need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So there's plenty of instruction for us as individuals, but there's no authority. Randy says we agree. No authority in the New Testament that would authorize the church to extend benevolence to unbelievers. Absolutely. All right. Uh, you know, I think something kind of interesting here, Jacob. I think that instead of and, and now we're sort of transitioning our discussion to can can the church use benevolence as a means of drawing people to hear the gospel? Uh, we said there's no indication that that was ever done in the first century, and we have record of lots of evangelism being done, but no record of them doing that. And in fact, early on in the book of Acts, I actually think we see a distinction being made between benevolence and evangelism. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, In those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecian against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. In other words, there was a benevolent need. Mm-hmm. Some, of these, some of these widows were being neglected in the church. Notice, Then the twelve, that is the apostles, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out from among you seven men of honest report that we may appoint over this business. Notice, they said, it doesn't make sense for us to stop doing what? Evangelism and do benevolence instead. Yeah. Right? Do you see how they distinguish that? We got two, we got two realms of important activity here and they weren't blended. Peter didn't say, well, we'll get busy working on that because it might give us a chance to teach, do some more teaching than we've been able to do. No, he said, we've got to keep teaching the word. We'll appoint some good men who can take care of this other church business. Again, these were these were members of the church that were being taken care of. But, again, that shows that there's a distinction uh, of the two activities. And so it's a good point there. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com in the chat room tonight. Things are getting quiet in the chat room, but lots of folks signed in. There's a number of people there. Uh, so join in the chat. Join in with us and uh, let us know what you think. We're going to take our, our mid-hour break here, Jacob. But when we get back, we want to talk about that question that I typed erroneously uh, earlier yeah. today. What potentially wrong view of Christianity may be conveyed by attempting to draw the lost through evangelism? Now, that's what a lot of people are suggesting we should do, you know. Uh, we hear them say every once in a while, we ought to feed their physical bodies and it will give us a chance to feed their spiritual man. So feed the physical man to get an opportunity or an opening to feed the spiritual man. Lots lots of religious groups and even some of our own brethren in Churches of Christ follow that philosophy. And so uh, we, we want to see whether that's an appropriate thing or not. And we'll talk more about it when we get back. And, again, we need to reiterate, we're not saying let the hungry go hungry. We're saying that the individual needs to be taking care of those that he has opportunity to take care of. And that's a, a responsibility given to individuals in the New Testament. We just don't find examples of it being uh, commanded or authorized for churches. So we've got to make sure that we're taking care of, of the hungry. As individuals, take a break, get this week's bullet point, get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Do you have a complaint? Is there something about the local congregation that needs to be changed or improved? Is there a specific matter that is being neglected? Do you know about a particular item that needs special attention? Good. 
We need every Christian to be perceptive to the needs of the church. We want you to be attentive to the things that cry out for improvement. We're glad that you care enough to be looking carefully at the work that we're trying to do together. But now we need to warn you, be ready to get to work. If you're inclined to point out the problems, and that's a good thing, then you must also be ready to get involved in whatever it takes to solve them. Once you've voiced your sincere concerns, be prepared to roll up your sleeves and tackle the work that will be required. We have little patience with a brother or sister who only wants to complain, grumble, and gripe. Sadly, in too many congregations, these folks outnumber the real workers. In Acts chapter 6, we read of a problem in the Jerusalem church. It did not take long for some brethren to point it out. It says, quote, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Observe carefully how the apostles dealt with the situation. Quote, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, Brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, whom we may appoint over this business. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose certain men whom they set before the apostles. At least two things deserve notice here. First, the apostles turned the problem right back to the complainers and got them involved in working out a solution. We ought to imitate this method. Anyone who feels the need to complain should know in advance that they're going to be put to work in resolving the problem. If you're not willing to do that, then please just keep quiet. Secondly, the Christians in Jerusalem are to be commended for the fact that they accepted the role assigned to them. They followed the instructions of the apostles, got busy, solved the problem, and quit complaining. Let's all learn from their fine example. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Michael, and I'm four years old, and, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking about benevolence on the program tonight, and a question in the chat room came in just before the break. We need to get that now. Guest 4932. Would you consider congregations giving to benevolent work sinful? Well, you got to qualify that answer. I mean, churches are authorized to do benevolent work. Yes. Uh, so, and we read examples of churches giving to benevolent needs. You know, on Paul's final missionary journey, he went among the congregations collecting funds that they had set aside. He served as their courier and took them back for the needy saints in uh, Judea. So, in answer to that, no, it's not wrong for churches to contribute to a benevolent work. We have examples of that. Right. But the work was a work directed toward needy saints. Now, with that understanding in place, if you're asking, could the church give to, uh, you know, a, a community food bank, for instance? Uh, I, I would say no, because there's no authority for it. And if we do things without authority, that is sinful. Right. So re- we really need a little more clarification on the question. Right. Right. But yeah. So we just we want to make sure we have authority for everything we do as a congregation. We can't find authority for the church to be engaged in general benevolence to non-Christians. We do find it uh, being involved in giving uh, to the needs of the saints and their specific wet patterns and. Examples of how they did that. They didn't do it by giving it to some type of organization, some type of brotherhood organization that then had a board of directors that decided how that was going to be spent. Exactly. They gave it directly to the individual or to the, con- the in- congregations in need. Yeah, it was uh, churches sent to other churches where the where the need was so great that those those receiving churches couldn't meet their own need. Right. In other words, if there was a need in this local congregation, Jacob, it would be our first burden, our first obligation to take care of the benevolent need that existed here if the need became so great that we could not meet it then there would be authority there's new testament pattern for other churches to send to us in order to help us accomplish our own work of benevolence in the local congregation okay but there is no authority for the church to be engaged in contributing toward a program of work that addresses non-saints. There's just no authority for it. Again, we're not against it if we can find the authority. Yeah, you know, I I think people would like, people tend to take that as a pretty hard, you guys are just being hard-hearted about that. No, we're just trying to follow the Bible pattern. And we got to stress again, as individuals, we can and should do lots of benevolent work, and I think we probably don't do nearly enough of it, but uh, and directed toward all men, not to saints only, as individuals. But 
But for the church, the work of the church is is limited in that matter. But we're going to draw the line there just because that's where we have the authority. Monty, if we cross over that line and say, well, you know, I I think it sounds like a good idea. I can't be sure that that's what the New Testament authorized. If I do that in this area, that seems good to me. Then, Monty, you come along and say that you want to, um, you know, you want to do some calf roping in worship because it seems like a good idea to you, and I say, no, we can't do the calf roping, money. Then how am I going to draw that line? Well, when, when we think about it, the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament is good for our learning, so there's things that we can learn from it. And there's an example in the Old Testament of, of, some, of a man that done wanted to do what he thought was a good work, and that was King David. He wanted to build a temple. Rather than the Ark of the Covenant and all being housed in a tent, he felt like it was disrespectful, and so he wanted to build a temple. So he went and talked to the prop, to Nathan, I believe it was the prophet about it, and said, here's what I want to do. And Nathan says, sounds like a good work. Well, let's get, let's get going on it. And Nathan was on the way out through the courtyard and God spoke to him and says, go back and talk to David because we're not going to do this. And God's question to David was, when did I ever ask for that? Yeah. So if God wants us to do it, if it's a good work and God wants us to do it, He's almighty and all-powerful. He can ask for it and would have had it recorded in the New Testament for us to do it. But he didn't ask for it. So if he didn't ask for it, then just like he told David to leave it alone, we have to leave it alone. That's right. It's that important because we want him to be pleased with what we do. And so we're going to draw that line where we can make sure that we have the authority. Otherwise, we, we, we're we just not going to do it. Yeah. Let's go uh, quickly to this third question that I typed absolutely horribly today and gave the wrong impression as to the question that was being asked. Here's the question as it should have been worded. What potentially wrong view of Christianity may be conveyed by attempting to draw the lost through evangelism? You said it wrong again. I said it. By, <laughs> I, read, I just read what I said. What potentially wrong view of Christianity may be conveyed by attempting to yeah. draw the lost through benevolence? benevolence. Now we understand now, why he made the mistake. Uh, yeah, 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 he, I read, I did he can't read either. Um, <laughs> oh, he read it good. <laughs> here's, here's what I was thinking by asking that question, and if it's properly worded, I hope it's understood. Uh, if, if we are trying to um, do relief work, benevolent work, to aid the preaching of the gospel... It, it suggests uh, to the recipients, here in Christ, with the church, there's relief for your physical needs. Christ, in other words, we give them the idea that Christianity is materially preferable to unbelief. Um, get that. In other words, you'd be better off in this physical world. No, your your physical needs will be better met if you're a Christian than if you're not. In other words, we're suggesting something that's not promised. It's a potential danger. Yeah, yeah, this is a potential danger. In other words, we're painting a picture of Christianity that is not necessarily true. Now, many times we are, I think we are blessed. Certainly in the time and place where we live in this world, Jacob, we're very blessed. But we'd be conveying the idea, we'd almost be suggesting that health and wealth kind of concept that we have condemned on other programs of the virtual bible study the joel olstein approach to christianity yeah. you know if you if you become a christian everything's going to be coming up roses when in fact jesus taught just the opposite jesus in matthew 16 uh, beginning verse 24 said uh if any man would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it um so uh, the idea, we don't want to give the impression that we're, that we're offering a materially preferable existence to them if they'll become Christians because we, we, we'd be making a promise that the Lord actually hasn't made. Faith in Christ is not materially, prof, uh, materially preferable to unbelief mm-hmm. and, and to, to lead men to think that is not uh, necessarily what we ought to be doing. A potential it's a whole lot like bribery. Maybe like bribery almost, yeah. All right. Um, it, it does. It also it, it potentially uh, causes people to respond to the gospel with the wrong motive. Yeah. Honey. Rather than out of faith, it's out of a need. What's, it, what's a in it for need. me? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I'll be faithful as long as you feed me. <laughs> well, I, I think that that might be one of the problems that we would run into that if this is what has drawn them, then this is what must also hold them. 
And that, that argument's been made plenty of times that if we draw people with the promise of material benefit, then it will take those continuing material benefits to keep them. All right. Well, there was, was someone came here one time or visited for a little while and quit coming, and his reason for quitting coming that he stated out of his own lips was that we wasn't giving him, we wasn't giving him stuff, and if we wasn't going to give him stuff, he wasn't going to come. Yeah. So that idea of evangelism through uh, providing people's benevolence is a popular idea in the world. Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right. And, um, yeah, uh, another danger is that it, we talked about this recently is that it sort of is a – we feel like the gospel isn't enough to draw people. Yeah. We've got to do something else. Yeah. You know, we need we need some, some soup or something. Um, I got a question here. I, I, I didn't. I didn't put this in the questions that we asked earlier. But if benevolence, you know, the argument basically is being made that benevolence is basically just a form of evangelism. You know that we it's a tool of evangelism, and we're just using it to promote evangelism. So we're going to feed people, feed their physical man, so that we have a chance to teach their spiritual man. Well, if that's true. If, if benevolence really is just a way to open the door for evangelism, then why are we forbidden to feed the lazy man? You know, Second Thessalonians 3, verse 10 says, if any won't work, neither should he eat. Well, why, well he needs taught. He needs oh, to yeah, be taught. He, he doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't yeah, understand he, that. Yeah, he, needs, yeah. he needs spiritual instruction. Why should we feed him so that we have a chance to teach him? Or what about the false teacher? You know, Second John verses nine and ten says, "If any come mm-hmm. not bringing this gospel, uh, uh, receive him not into your house, neither bid him come." Let me read that. I'm, right. I'm not quoting yep. that exactly right. Second yep. uh, John verse nine. I think you got it right. Uh, whosoever uh, verse ten. If any come unto this, Second John verse ten. If any come unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deed. Well, this is telling me I, I shouldn't I shouldn't accommodate a false teacher, but if if benevolence is a form of evangelism, why wouldn't I extend benevolence to that false teacher so I'd have a chance to try and teach him? Right. Uh, that sort of seems to indicate there's a, dist- a clear. We get ourselves in a pickle here pretty yeah. quick, yeah. Money. Well, along that same line, we're taught that the unfaithful Christian were to withdraw ourselves from them, and in one passage it says not even to eat with them. Well, if benevolence, the, the sharing a meal with them, providing that sustenance was something that was a good thing to promote teaching, it wouldn't have told us not to even eat with them. Yeah, yeah. You, again, we're finding ourselves here in a in a vicious circle. So, yeah, yeah. Good points. All right. Well, uh, let's get our last break, Jacob, and then we got a couple of important questions to ask. We want to we want to try to show that benevolence and evangelism again are two distinctly different things. But a very important question that we've got is did Jesus do this? In other words, are we missing something here? We're saying we don't have any examples of it, but some people would say, oh, we do have examples of it. We got the example of Jesus feeding the multitudes and teaching them, and that's all they say that they're suggesting. We ought to imitate Jesus in that. All right, we're going to take a break. We've got, we got to reiterate it again. We're going to sound like a broken record, but this is a big a big. Uh, argument folks like well you just don't care about poor people no we do we care about being right with god and what he has authorized though and so we have to limit that to what he has authorized we'll take a break get your thoughts on the other side don't go anywhere the virtual bible study continues right after this don't touch that mouse the virtual bible study will be back right after this i'm trent haynes a member of the college view church of christ with a reminder about the update mailing list for the virtual bible study Every Thursday shortly after noon, an email message is sent out with information about the topic for discussion on that evening's program. You're invited to start sending feedback and comments that are then included during the broadcast. If you'd like to be added to our update list, just send a message to questions at collegeview.com and put add me to the list in the subject line. That's all there is to it. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. In a recent survey, researchers looked closely at the role of social media in teen substance use and found 75% of those surveyed said seeing pictures of teens partying with alcohol and marijuana on social networking sites such as Facebook encouraged them to party similarly. 
This is a new kind of potent peer pressure. Digital peer pressure. It moves beyond a child's friends and the kids they hang out with. It invades the home and a child's bedroom via the Internet. That information is via CBS News. The Word of God says in Exodus 23, verse 2, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Wow, some uh, scary stats there. It reminds me of Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. Come out from among them and touch not, be separate. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. You're saying don't touch Facebook? Well, just we got to keep ourselves distant from the world, and the world has so many ways to in, in now, yeah. more than it used to. Yeah. Used to you could take your kids home, close the door, and they wouldn't be exposed to the world until you opened the door back up and you went out to town. Yeah. Now they're, the world can get at it them. It started with TV, hours. but it's gone way beyond TV. Uh, it's now. much more powerful than it used to be. Yeah, and we would reference our listeners to a, an episode we did not that long ago about the dangers of social networking. Yeah, yeah. All right. We, we should remind our listeners you can find, oh, well, we're getting close to 500 episodes now. Yeah, we're close. To, we're, we're, we're closing in now on 10 full years of the virtual Bible study and uh, the lots of information in the archives. If you've got a subject that you're studying, you know, every once in a while, Really, fairly often anymore, I get an email from somebody and said, you know, what do you think, what what would be your opinion of this or that? And I said, well, let me give you this link. There's a whole hour's worth of discussion on it right there in that program. Check it out. I'm trying to think earlier this week somebody did that, and I referenced them uh, to to an email, uh, I mean to a link by email. I don't remember what it was. Monty, you listen at work to past programs, and if you were to start now, you'd have – about three months, four months of solid programs to listen yeah. to. Oh no! Well, well, if you listen to one a day, you have ten, you, you have ten you, weeks. Well, no, you, no, you'd have over a year's worth. If you listen, yeah, one a day. I'm sorry, oh, one yeah. an hour. Well, oh, Monty oh, works, oh, Monty oh, works oh, forty oh, hours oh, a week. Oh, okay, he doesn't work forty hours. He works one hour. <laughs> he works one hour a week. So yeah, okay. But uh, no, but if you were to listen to one a day, you couldn't get done. In, in, in fact, you'd, you'd it'd take a year and. Half. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just by listening. And that's seven days a week. So so you're not catching up if you're just getting in, but yeah, yeah. Um, you can find lots of subjects there eventually. All right. Uh, so this question, I think it's really an important question. Uh, f- first of all, I ask, can it be proved that benevolence and evangelism are two entirely different things? I I got a simple answer to that. We'll see, uh, by the way, check see what Randy says about this. But, yeah. uh, you know, you can engage in benevolence without doing any evangelism. For instance, our government. Our government does a lot of benevolent things to help needy people. They're certainly not preaching the gospel in the process of that. In fact, they would adamantly object to it. If we, if they found out that, that one of their welfare offices in, in, somewhere was making people uh, listen to a sermon before they got their food stamps, they'd close them down. Yeah, you know, so it's clear that that you can do benevolence, and it's not is is not necessarily connected with evangelism. All they're two distinctly different things, and there are a lot of of agencies like the Red Cross that does not do any evangelism, not connected with a religious organization. They are two distinctly different things. But it's also clear that you can do evangelism without doing general benevolence, because we do that. And, yeah, it's exactly right, and so they're. Truly two distinct different areas. Randy, uh, Randy reiterates what we've been saying all night with his answer, and it's a good one, and Randy. Thank you. He says the church is authorized to help needy saints only. There's no Bible authority for anything else. And that hasn't been argued t- tonight successfully. And if you have a verse that shows that the church is authorized to do something else, we'd like to see that. He says, on the other hand, there are many, many verses found in the New Testament telling Christians to take the good news to all the world. Yes, there are. The church is told to take the good news to all the world. Christians individually are told to take the good news to all the world. Christians individually are told to, to be helping saints and non-saints. But uh, there is a distinction when it comes to the church and the benevolence. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, let, uh, let's go to the final question we want to deal with tonight. Because if there is any proof at all, you just you just issued the challenge, Jacob. Give us an example. You know, we would do it if we thought we had authority for doing it. If we had, if we thought we had authority for the church to engage in benevolence, with the idea of opening doors for evangelism, we would do it. Yeah. Uh, Galatians chapter six verse ten has been presented, but that is in context of individual responsibilities. Yeah. Well, if we thought we had authority, we would accept that as a command. We would have to do it. We'd feel we'd obligated to, right. to do it. We, we, we would go out of our way to do we'd it. We'd start tonight. Yeah. We should start yeah. tonight in our repentance to, to do that. We'd yeah. take care of it. Yeah. Exactly. Now, 
If there is any proof at all to be offered, the proof will come from some who say Jesus did it. We can imitate Jesus. Jesus fed the multitudes and gave him a chance to teach them. And so we would just be imitating Jesus if we did the same. Okay. I want to read. I want to read a section uh, from uh, a friend of ours, uh, Steve Walker. Uh, Steve passed away a couple of years ago. Be a great guy, a very diligent Bible student. Uh, we mm-hmm. used to have fellowship with him in the preaching of the gospel uh, when he was preaching in Western Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I, I think I don't think this can be said any better than he said it. Notice this. Some have referred to Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 as a precedent for benevolence as an evangelistic tool. But when we read the gospel accounts, we find that such is not the case. The people came to Jesus to hear his teaching and to see his miracles. They continued with him for three days without thought of food, Matthew 15, verse 32. The disciples recommended sending the multitude away to buy food, Matthew 14, verse 15. This proves that no promise of food had been made to these people. Neither the Lord nor his disciples had suggested that feeding the loaves and fishes would be a good way to get more to come and hear. Ah, it was an afterthought. That's right. In fact, Jesus rebuked some the following day because in seeking him, they were motivated by the food he had provided. John 6, verses 25 and 27. The value of Jesus' feeding of the multitudes was in the fact that these were miraculous events. They can no more be precedents for us in evangelism than can his raising of Lazarus. The scriptures offer no precedent for evangelistic benevolence. Mm, I think that's just well said. Yeah, very well said. You know, uh, I, I think it's really significant. He didn't promise them food. He didn't get them out there to hear him promising food. In fact, in that one episode... They were there for three days before anything was even said about food. And the first thing that was said about food was the disciples said, send them away that they can go get some food. So even then, the disciples had no thought, we'll feed them. Right. It clearly wasn't the plan. Right. Jesus did, though, work a miracle to, to confirm his identity as the Son of God and yeah. to confirm the word that he was teaching. He performed a miracle and they were fed. But then there's that that recorded the recording of it in John chapter 6 when the next day they came back yep. and Jesus perceived that they were coming for the food and in that episode when he knew that that was their motive he did not feed them yeah yeah uh, Brendan and uh, Philip also in the chat room have referenced this passage in uh, John chapter 6 <clears throat> that shows that Jesus did not resort to these tactics verse 26 of John chapter 6. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the flows and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Jesus had the opportunity. He could have just kept them around. And these people obviously needed to hear what he had to say because they did not have the spiritual outlook on things. They needed the message Jesus was going to present to them. He said, hey, we're not playing it like this. We're not going to do it this way. We're not going to draw you with the food. Exactly right. And you know, Monty, Jesus could have he could have he could have been the master at this. I mean, all he had to do is speak the words, and he could he could he could have done it. He could have done it better than anybody since him. Oh yeah. If he wanted to, he could feed the whole world. Yeah. Steak and, steak and potatoes. Yeah. 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 You know, and as you said a minute ago, it wasn't in their plan to do that because if they were planning to feed the multitudes, they would have brought more than five loads and three fishes because obviously uh, for for a human intuition of what we was going to need to feed somebody. I can eat that, that by, myself. Yeah, well, I can eat that <laughs> real easy. And so if I knew there was 5,000 people there, we'd have been sending out for caterers for the whole three days they had been there in order to get enough food there to feed them. But he could have fed a whole lot more than 5,000. And if he wanted to, the word could have gotten around and he could have brought them from towns far and wide yeah. to this. Yeah. Revival, if that was the idea and like the motivation for doing yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the chat room, uh, uh, he says he goes on more detail throughout the section explaining that we are to be following him because of his teaching and not, and, and our want not because we had a good meal. I think that's right. Uh, Randy in uh, Michigan emailed earlier and said, Jesus fed them after he preached to them. He fed them because they were with him uh, many days and were out of food. It was his love for mankind, his compassion. 
I think Randy's right in that it was an act of compassion, but it was not what was used to draw them. All right. All right, we've got a couple more minutes left uh, in the hour, Jacob. Uh, uh, I, I hope we've answered that adequately. I think that's the right answer to that question, you know, that that we there's no example there of Jesus for us to imitate. Very often when these discussions come up, that's what's said. We're just following Jesus' example. You're not following Jesus' example if you're doing that. If we were following Jesus' example, we'd have done it miraculously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's right. That's what that's what Steve Walker said in his in his note there. That yeah. you know this really sets no more precedent than Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I can't. Do and that we can't either. do that either. Yeah. Um, one of the things we mentioned earlier, Jacob, is that if we do this, uh, it's going to require on an ongoing benevolent effort. If you to maintain those who have been drawn by that, uh, it's kind of interesting. There, in the case of Jesus in John chapter six, they learned in, in one day to begin to to uh, uh, desire the loaves and fishes. No, where Jesus did it just once after the fact, not by plan, not something that was used to draw them. It took, and, and in one day, they started coming back wanting more food. And Jesus wouldn't give it to them. And so uh, if you're going to draw them that way, you're going to have to keep them that way. I think that's just an uh, that's just a an obvious thing. And I don't know how anybody could deny that. All right. All right. Well, you mentioned several passages at the beginning of uh, the program that showed that churches have authority to be engaged in benevolence for Christians. We have not seen any passages tonight that show that the churches need to be involved in benevolence for non-Christians. We have seen passages tonight that say individuals need to be, and we need to remind ourselves of that need. We can't we can't say, well, the church can't be isn't to be involved in that, so then I'm not going to be. We have an obligation. Yeah, and I think we need to work harder at that. Yep. I, I'm speaking for myself. I, yep. I, I I need to do more. I want to do more, and 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 actually, we should be looking for opportunities to do more. We can we can really do good uh, for people that way. The church doesn't have to be involved. I can do that work individually, and I should. And we, as Christians, we should take that as a serious obligation. And I would just reiterate what I said earlier. I think one of the great dangers of institutionalized benevolence, you know, I'm going to let the church do it rather than me do it individually, is I, I get a false sense of satisfaction when in reality – I haven't done much at all if it's just what I do through the church, you know, yeah. because you th- it, very often we read about congregations who will send five hundred dollars to this uh, need. Well, if it's a congregation of a hundred people uh, and they're sending five hundred dollars, you know, chances are. Uh, you know, whatever my percentage of the contribution is, you know, if, if there's a hundred people. Uh, is my contribution 5% of the total? I don't know. You know, it, it would vary depending on people's income and how much they prospered and how generously they gave. But say that my contributions typically represent 5% of the total that's given. So of that $500 that was sent, then what would 5% be? $25? Yeah, you know, so... So I'm all satisfied that I have fulfilled my duty to mankind yeah. because, in effect, $25 that came out of my pocket ended up going to that need. Yeah. But I've somehow convinced myself that, man, I've done a great work. Yeah. That's one danger. It's yeah. not it's not reason to oppose it yeah. just because of some human reasoning we have. It's not reason to oppose it. We oppose it just because we can't find an example of yeah. it. No and, and, and you said something, Jacob, earlier. We're just out of time. But you said something earlier I think that people need to be reminded of. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1, verse 16. And we need to have confidence that it will do what it's designed to do. Amen. We yeah. shouldn't be trying to augment it by some human scheme. No, that's right. All right. Good uh, discussion tonight. Uh, Monty, thanks for being here and for your input. And thank you, Jacob. That. And, Dad, thank you for, for this as well. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you for listening. We, If you have questions, if you disagree with us, if you have some thoughts you'd like to share with us, we'd welcome those at any time. Questions at collegeview.com. If you have a suggestion for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study, welcome that as well. Questions at collegeview.com. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. 
You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.